sure. by the way. Nice to meet you. Hi, very nice to meet you. Yes. Um, I don't know too much about you, but I know you work at Perspectiva with, mm -hmm. uh, with, with Zach, Zach Stein, who I just had an extraordinary interview with. And I know you work with horses and I know you do Qigong and that you lead insight retreats. And I also know that you write these extraordinary texts on, on medium and have a sort of, uh, ability to combine very high abstraction with very down to earth sorts of, sorts of issues. So, so did you want to just sort of introduce yourself uh, or say something about what you're trying to do? What your what's your, yeah. What's your angle? What's your unique thing? Um, yeah, you know, I've been thinking about that over the last year or so because people always ask me that. And I think my answer's gotten to be more refined. Um, at first I stumbled over it a little, a, a lot more. Um, so my current version of where I am in this space is, um, and I like that way you put it in that email, what's your parallax, you know, what's your orthogonal or side view, mm -hmm. is, um, <clears throat> And maybe we can get into why this matters, but um, you know, I'm a person that has been looking for uh, new architectures of thought for a long time, and partially because um, I think that um, I've been a, a thinker that thinks in different ways, but also that as I studied philosophy and read people's writings over many, many years, I started to see, wow, this. You know, there's a lot of philosophy within a certain canon. There's a lot of uh, writing in a certain scientific paradigm, but there are actually, you could start to see like this genesis of uh, different ways that people are constructing thought. And I started getting very interested in that. Hmm. Um, so um, what I'm trying to do, I guess now, after maybe 20 years of this, is I really see a lot of hope in combining a process philosophical approach um you know a la whitehead and then um there's there's many uh many versions of that but look we could anchor that in whitehead sure. um with um like embodied and active approaches of thompson and varela let's say they're also in that process field mm -hmm. and then kind of integrate that with what i call uh, holistic complexity science, which is not cybernetics. It's not second or third order cybernetics. It's, it's really um, um, kind of a new science. Uh, I would say that Dave Snowden and Nora Bateson are in that field. Mm -hmm. And so somehow I think that there's a new architecture or a new paradigm of mind um, that's going to um, draw on some, a lot of those resources. Um, I, my, t my current turn for what that theory looks like, what that combination looks like is complex potential state theory, which is mm -hmm. a move away from complex adaptive states, you know, a Darwinian kind of uh, understanding of complexity to a more emergent novel. Um, so complex potential states, uh, and that of course draws from uh, process philosophy. So uh, even in the, my, I'm writing a big, uh, paper or small book for perspectiva on transform transformational approaches to uh, education, drawing on this notion mm -hmm. of complex potential state. Can I?
can I uh, bring forth the potential? What's the potential from here? You know, what are these pre-egoic evolutionary potentials of the human, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that's kind of where all my work, even in organizations, I talk about complex potential states in education. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would say that's kind of the sphere around which my intellectual life uh, uh, okay, and I, I did this. I did this uh, interview with Zach Stein uh, that I'm still thinking about a lot. And and there was a quote uh, that Zach um, used, and that quote was, and and you suggested that we start talking um, about this. Uh, the quote was that schools make you stupid, money makes you poor, and medicine makes you sick. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we're talking about the dysfunction of organizations right yeah. and, and I, I i believe you work very hard to try to heal these dysfunctions and also to try to um uh you know bring forth human potential mm -hmm. do, do i have that right yeah so you know that i love that when he said that and um i kind of i kind of sent it around the twitter sphere and um you know so why does i would like to talk about why does that ring true i mean i right. thought about that because i mean on the one hand it seems kind of like a funny thing to say but it does ring true and it points to the sense making crisis the you know war on sense making and the meaning making crisis so i want to step back and say um why i think this is rings true and there's something like there's it's not like we invented schools to make us stupid you know there's like a conspiratorial kind of feel to them because they're mm. all happening at the same time. And this mm. is part of the paranoia in the social media space right now is because people feel like all these things have a common reason and they project that as a cabal of a few people. But mm. they do have a common reason, but the common reason is not a cabal of few people. It has to do with um, um, what we're seeing is the reversal of intention and outcome, right? So schools, the intention is to educate. Mm. The outcome is makes us stupid. We, so, so there's good intentions, uh, which but, but that's leading to this um, often terrible outcome. Uh, yes, and in our everyday life, I have a good intention to protect my family, and my and my country and it leads to nuclear war i have a good intention to you know to play the game by the rules and it turns into uh, fraud i have a good intention to make a home and a good life and career for my family and it destroys the environment so what oh. we see is this reversal or decoupling of intention and outcome and you kind of and, see um, it everywhere what, what that makes me think of is that, that it's the result of a mono perspective of some kind. Yeah, okay, exactly. It's, it's the result of the long process of decreasing returns mm -hmm. in the cycles of civilization. And then you get a reversal. I mean, the returns decrease to, the, you know, the benefits and the returns start to tip, okay? Yeah. And so what we're looking at, I mean, we live, as Zach says, in a time between worlds, we're living at the end of a very large paradigm, a very large cycle of civilization. And mm. this has happened before. 
we're lucky to be able to conceive it as the end of a cycle of civilization. Yeah. He calls it, the, he says we're living in the post-tragic uh, age, which is an interesting, I thought an interesting concept. Yeah. That this in-between world place is sort of like, um, you know, that's the tragedy of modernity, which I guess has to do with, you know, all of these institutions kind of falling apart. And yeah. then, no, sorry, and the tragedy of postmodernity is, is more like we don't know what to do. Uh -huh. uh, and well, the we problem with a paradigm, so, so there's like the problem with the paradigm we're in is that the, the modernity and its critique are in the same paradigm. Yeah. Now, this is, hmm. this is why it's so tough. This is why this is like the mother of all paradigms, right? And hmm. so if you think about it, in the past paradigms, there was not a conceptual critique of the paradigm itself. It just, it just evolved and, you know, Rome just uh, destroyed itself by just action. But uh. in modern times, we start to see, we get postmodern critique. And so what you have with paradigms, they're either inconsistent or they're incomplete. Now, inconsistent paradigms don't live very long. They're not very robust, because so you start to have a lot of relativistic, um, you know, um, movement between paradigms. Mm. But in our modern society, we get the postmodern critique. The postmodern critique starts shoring up all the inconsistencies of the modern paradigm, mm -hmm. and that makes it much more complex. So you get this complex systemic hyper systemic understanding of the of modernity from postmodern but it it started to close up all the loopholes hmm. so it actually made it more robust and more recursive and so the 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 game is is kind of closed on itself and the reversal is happening because not only of the inconsistencies of the modern paradigm, but we've shorted it up with the, with the critiques, right? All the regulation and business and all the hyper yeah. uh, surveillance of AI and all the systems keeps shoring up those inconsistencies. So now we have a very robust paradigm, very closed on itself, but it's incomplete. And this uh -huh. is the challenge, not to look for inconsistencies, but we have to see what we can't see. We have mm -hmm. to, and this is exactly what you said, we're closed in a paradigm and the job is we have to see outside of it. Yeah. So no when, long, you say, yeah. when you say we have to see what we can't see, you're, you're thinking about, about the future. Um, and, uh, but also I, I was wondering if we have to find a thread to, to the past. In other words, we have to kind of rediscover some of the, you know, the narratives of the past or, or the, the grand narratives of the past to move us into the future. So it's, so, yeah. so we're not just starting from nowhere. Is that? Something? Okay, exactly. Um, yes, and there's people that are working like that, going back to archetypes and this and that, but this is ma what makes me different. It's that's mm. not radical enough. So mm. the instinct that we have to go backwards to go forwards, yes, because you can't just start here and then emerge yeah. from nothing. But we have, because the paradigm is linguistic and symbolic, we have to go to pre-linguistic and pre-symbolic modes of uh, being and then build from there. Wow. So the archetypes are not the place to start. So further back than the, you know, even yes. further, further back. So like, uh, I don't know, my, my, my friend Alexander Bard 
it talks about nomadology and, and trying to look at the, the, the dynamics of early tribes and, and how they work and the Dunbar number and, and all that, how people work together. I guess yeah. that's still working within an archetypal model. Exactly. It's uh -huh. not deep enough. So now, but you see quite a lot of people that are saying, and um, um, we need to go back to the sensory more motor perception action mode of being. Hmm. We actually have to reclaim a lot of that because you know I do work with horses, and literally people get so lost in thought they cannot see what's happening to them in their sensory motor spatial relationships. Hmm. They either get completely overwhelmed with emotion or completely overwhelmed with theory in their daily lives. And so uh. you start to see, um, and this is why our culture has like extreme sports. There's this intuitive um, need, Evan Thompson's work, uh, Adam Roberts' work at the side view. It's all something in us. Jordan Hall says this. Yeah. You have to be in right relationship. You have to be sovereign. You have to cho choose and act. We're, we're going all the way back down to these deep codes or protocol of embodied choice, experiment, mm. and action. Mm. So there's, seem, you know, when so we we're split, right? We're, we're very split, let's say, between the brain and the body. Like the whole culture is ex extraordinarily split between embodied experience and, and abstraction. Yeah, I mean, so, the, you know, the question is, what comes on top of the, I call that the core self, the embodied sensory motor perception action self, does, is there another linguistic symbolic system that gets built on that? Probably. It just won't be the paradigm that we have now. And so um, there will be, you know, the, that's the possibility for emergent type of minds. Right, because the architecture of mind has changed through time with these with these transformations of civilization. Hmm. So maybe you could unpack a little bit, you know, this I guess Francis Farella's idea of autopoiesis and, and emergent <clears throat> theory and, and and all of that. Um, I'm not I'm not sure if I understand it uh, in the sense of of, of self organization. If, if there's self organization, then and how do we work with that? Um, uh, does that make, is, it, does my, is my question clear? Yeah, uh, I'm going to riff on it instead of going deep into the, the theory. Okay. So um, I, do the, I do a presentation and um, that's called um, How Self-Organization Happens and Why Does It Matter or Why You Can Trust It or something. Hmm. And one of the yeah. slides I put up are, you can, you can find it on the internet, and it's, it's this animation of um, DNA being unraveled and copied in a ribosome factory. <laughs> uh -huh, you know, uh -huh, this uh -huh, is right. like, and, I, and it's all molecular self-organization. So I say, mm. well, how does that happen? How does that, not only that, but there's autopoetic cycles, so it perpetuates itself. I'm like, the ribosomes are just molecules. They don't have DNA. Hmm. Right, but all of life is predicated upon the fact that they self-organize in these extremely complex factories, right? Hmm. Nobody knows how to do what yeah. they do. So self-organization is not trivial. Yeah. It's deeply intelligent and it's deeply um, 
Well, I guess nature nature is intelligent, right? You know, you know. I mean, nature is complex and, and intelligent, and and we're a part of nature. Um, but we also make these. We construct things like machines, uh, and we we kind of believe that those are complex. No, well, as compared to a blade of grass or something like that, our machines are are very, very very dumb or very simple. Yeah, so machines don't self-organize, right? I mean, and then you could say, uh, okay. well, machines can build other machines, but then now we have to think about the notion of self-organization, um, and um, you know, machines build build each other up from parts. And self-organization are patterns of relationship mm -hmm. that um, make, you know, that create more complex types of potentials. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right? So I like to talk about self-organization in, in every in every relationship in a self-organized relationship. There's a uh, a promise that is made for a higher possibility. Right. So. Mm -hmm. um, if I, and, and this goes, cuts across living and non-living things, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm working with a horse as a farmer and um, plowing the land, the, the, there's a promissory note between me and the horse for a larger possibility, the horse mm -hmm. and I, mm -hmm. right? And so you start to see that, um, that's kind of just a, a you know, a, an in-storied way to talk about self-organization. Yeah. But it can go the other way too, right? If you don't, if you don't um, cultivate that relationship in, in a good, in a positive or in a, or in a correct manner, then the, the relationship can degrade, right? Self-organization can go backwards. Exactly. Uh -huh. that, so um, if, if, you know, so some people can talk about it as an energy kind of uh, equation. So at the higher mm -hmm. level, it's gotta be a lower energy state or lower energy cost. So that's the uh -huh. possibility. So you you know molecules work like that. If we get together, there's a lower energy cost for something that we're doing, um, so that we're going to promise to interact in a certain way. I like to say, you know, if my cells didn't promise to give up, to to if my cells didn't promise to keep doing what they were doing, I couldn't get up and walk across the room. Uh -huh. um, but you can start to see this like from an inactive approach, and I think this is where Varela was really inspired is you could start to see yourself inside the universe of self-organization and this notion of promise and possibility so like if this if the if the way a stone is right a, the laws of nature are like deep promises so if the stone mm, didn't promise yeah. to lay upon the ground i couldn't pick her up and throw it and you start to get this completely animated participatory process view of reality is all promise and participation. Pro promise is the same thing as, as potential or I'm trying yeah. to understand what you mean yeah. by promise. Yeah. Uh -huh. You may, there's every relation like in, in process, it's relation. Every yeah. relation is both a promise so that there can be enacted a higher potential. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So, Ma, so the laws of nature are like promises. They, nature promises to behave a certain way in order mm. for other potentials to come across. So they're not archetypes or ideals in the platonic sense or something like that. They're, 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 they're promises. That's very interesting. I like. Well, that. it's kind of the way to talk about what is 
self-organization uh -huh. from a process view it, you know their 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 relational dynamics yeah. that in in from a easy way to understand it and to bring out the 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 kind of beauty of a world that is seen through this way you can think of it as promise and possibility huh. at at different levels you know so there's there's this and, and that that really um <clears throat> brings up the way whitehead thought of his philosophy he talked about you know um prehension as feeling it was mm -hmm. the long it, it's very it's a very um <clears throat> you know this notion of promise and possibility has a lot of feeling a lot of affect to it and this is the world that he wanted to bring forth this notion of not just making connections like wiring things together mm -hmm. but that that there was tones there was affect on both sides of the equation and so i turned that into this phrase about promises and possibility and this is actually what a society is you know you you promise <clears throat> to hmm. obey certain rules and certain patterns because everybody is going to enact a higher possibility for everyone mm -hmm. it's what a company is it's what self-organization is it's a hmm. set of promises to realize a, a greater possibility and um when so, the promises are, are are when the promises are being upheld and the possibilities are not then you start to have some breakdown uh, and so that, then we can maybe that's uh, a segue into talking about education again going back into education mm -hmm. and this sort of breakdown you're talking about and what to do to um well to, to create genuine self-organizing let's say education um yeah zach distinguishes between education and school mm -hmm. um like he has this you know and ivan illich wrote a book called de-schooling society so i guess my question is yeah so i, I you know about organizations and, and and how they work and um what is it, what is education going to be like and what is it now and and uh, you know in the internet age and 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 Uh, how do we educate ourselves today? It's, I'm asking this question because I'm I'm thinking about how, like, this conversation we're having, and then also my my uh, interactions on internet, and then my job, and all these things in different compartments, and and how, how does the whole thing work? How, how how do we how do we do that? How do we how do we fulfill the promise of education, if you like, um, using yeah, the that, promise that of that's it that's interesting um so again when you ask me a question like that um i have to start by saying okay the whole discourse around education is in this paradigm so i make the distinction between education reform which has not exited the paradigm so all those moves will give you decreasing returns, increasing complexity, won't get you out of the pickle. Mm -hmm. So that's education reform. So what we need is transformational philosophy, a new transformational philosophy mm -hmm. of education, what Zach Stein would call um, a theory, of a, new, a new theory of the human. Uh-huh, new theory of the human. Yeah, yeah, so you have to step way back. And 
So um, a, new, a new philosophy of education requires a new theory of learning. How, uh -huh. do, how do people learn? I want to just go back a little bit uh, uh, about the human. Well, what would this new idea of the human be? Uh, yeah. As, as a learner, I guess. or As, as somebody... a learner, exactly. Uh -huh. So yeah. the new idea of how, how people learn, uh, how do humans learn? And um, so we have to examine assumptions. For example, um, in our current paradigm, we have what I call a developmental bias. Mm -hmm. We think the past is primitive, and the future is more complex, and that development is linear. Yeah. So this is how we think people, linear and additive, this is how we think people learn. Mm -hmm. And so um, it turns out this is not true. The, the, um, the, the um, amount of information that your body processes just to get to being like, a perceiving, walking, sensing, feeling organism is like 11 billion bits a second. And the, and the cognitive, neurocognitive linguistic mind can only handle like 14 to 64 bits per second. Most of the intelligence in us mm -hmm. is in disembodied is it, our, or is it in our body and also in our deep history, I guess, or in our yeah, yeah. and so they're in uh, genetic and epigenetic evolutionary potentials, right? Mm. So first of all, this is we need to think of education not as so. This is what we think about education. So the child goes to first grade or kindergarten, and we say, oh, the embodied child is is that phase is over now we're going to do this phase and then we're going to now we're going to do this phase and now they have to learn abstractions and now they're going to do this mm -hmm. we have this feeling that we have to add all these things on top now we learn science now we learn science in a more complex way or whatever mm -hmm. but what we really need to do is say the embodied core self we're actually educating four selves the this comes this is a kind of a, a maturation of the theory of uh, Donald Oliver, who was one of the first uh, philosophers of education that took a process approach. So again, mm -hmm. this is in my, my, my whole sphere. But we, we have to educate the core self. So the per sensory motor perception action self has to be educated. And mm -hmm. this requires uh, a lot about the family environment and the mm. nutrition, early childhood nutrition. So without this, without focus on that, on this, then the society's lost anyway. So, so we have the core self, and then we have the communal self. The communal self is a self that can create relationships, the civic engagement, the mm -hmm. self that can speak that can uh, participate in group process, that creates larger and larger spheres of inclusion. This is the communal self. Now the communal mm -hmm. self doesn't come after the education of the core self. The communal self is the core self expanded into communal possibilities. So we still, now we have to educate both. There's a transformation that happens in this mm -hmm. potential of the human. It's not, it's not just their learning. Is the this something like uh, uh, this sort of transcendent include idea? Is that, or is, is it? 
Is that not quite it? I, I have a feeling no, that's not quite it. That's but. not it at all because transcend means you beyond, le uh, you've left the stage behind. And I'm saying, uh, no, uh, this is exactly uh, the developmental bias. Oh, right. The stage does, it's not, see, it's a developmental theory, not yeah. a comp, it's not from complexity science. So, uh, and this is why it's got a lot of holes. There's a big problems, but develop, so, one of the problems with our paradigm today is it has a mm -hmm. developmental bias and mm -hmm. all of that uh, developmental uh. stage theory has a developmental bias. So what we're looking at is there's the core self and then it complexifies to the core self and the communal self. The core yeah. self has certain psychological schemas. The communal self has other structures. The identity changes, the organism changes, the potential changes. What is uh -huh. possible from here now? And then you're going to educate into the cosmopolitan self, which right now the cosmopolitan self is all of what education teaches, just stuff. Uh -huh, it doesn't uh -huh. get back down to what is the core psycho-spiritual self that I'm educating at this point in the lifespan. Which okay. It doesn't concern itself with that. So every... So we're forgetting uh, the earlier stages, so to speak. Like we're, we're we should continue to nourish those earlier stages as we're because as we're, they're not just earlier; they're more fundamental, and they no, they're, not, they're not earlier. So it's not a linear time thing; it's something right. else. Uh, yeah. They're more mm -hmm. fundamental, and they need to grow along with the lifespan. It's uh -huh, like saying, uh -huh. "I put my foundation down." And yeah. now I'm going to build a house. Now I'm going to build a bigger house. No, I my see. foundation has to grow holistically. It's a holistically complex yeah. participation of, of complex, you know, um, psyches, really. Mm -hmm. And so, so, but we actually exclude some of the, so in our society, we exclude the kind of psycho-spiritual growth that should yeah. be happening in, in the family and for and onwards but what we have is a very short window of time if you happen yeah. to have a healthy nuclear family for psycho spiritual growth to happen then you get into schools no yeah. psychology no spiritual growth allowed yeah. you just get information so, we so by psychology and spiritual growth you mean you mean working on on your effective self uh, you know doing practices like meditation and martial arts and and orienting yourself with nature and th exactly. things like, things like that. The, these yeah. things need to grow throughout the lifespan. So what we have today, I teach a master's course in consciousness studies and transformational mm -hmm. psychology. I get, you know, by the time people are 40 or 50 years old, they say, oh, I want to do exactly that. I want to work on my mindfulness and my, my trauma and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But the whole point is, is, we educate and condition all these things until people are 50 years old. Yeah. And then when they're 50, we have to decondition ourselves to go forward. But by then it's too hard. You have to be at a fourth or fifth level of consciousness to metacognitively deconstruct what the society has constructed for the last 50 years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for example, we know children are intuitively collaborative and empathic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then we say, oh, Keegan's fourth or fifth order of consciousness, people become collaborative and empathic. Why does it take a fifth order consciousness for people to be that? Because the way we educate or school today is we school competitiveness and 
and non-empathy. So by the time you're 50, you have to have a very strong metacognitive mind to deconstruct your early conditioning. So the whole, the whole project is inadequate to what, we're, what we need. To what we need, mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I wrote down one of my questions. Uh, I was listening to one of your, your talks. You talked about competition versus consensus. And it's, it's like on some level we have hyper competition. And on another level, we have hyper conformity or, or consensus, uh, you know, in our relationships and, uh, mm -hmm. and how, we're, how we're supposed to be with each other. And um, so, um, so, and, and the mid middle ground would be creativity, right? In, in relationships or. Yeah. So that comes in my work with self-organized, um, like organizations, you know, mm -hmm. at that level of analysis and yeah. <clears throat> what it, um, it's based upon um, a model of um, collective of, of collective action that shows that um, there's kind of like complex feed loops um, in, in, in holistic complexity science, what you uh, are encounter is things that are very similar to the brain. Like the brain doesn't just have feed forward loops. Mm -hmm. Some, some, um, some brain areas of the brain, when they get excited, inhibit others. Mm -hmm. But then when they're inhibited, they uninhibit other things that get excited, but then might inhibit that, you know, very mm -hmm. complex mm -hmm. feed loops. So when you're yeah. working with holistic complexity, you're always working with very complex feed loops that create threshold events. Hmm. So com uh, <clears throat> um, what's, what's an example of a threshold event? Um, so as, as that, that's happening in my brain, I may, or uh, could use Verveke's language, I may, something may or not become salient because things are inhibiting and disinhibiting mm -hmm. each other all the time until something <clears throat> switches and there's more inhibition or more excitatory above a certain level of consciousness uh -huh. Uh -huh. and then I have a threshold event, okay? Yeah, okay. But the feed loops <clears throat> inside that system are not just this, amplifies that, amplifies that, and amplifies that until there's a threshold event. Mm -hmm. Okay, so- he calls it opponent, Verveke calls it opponent processing or something that there's a back and forth between- Exactly. There's so different this, modes of being and, and, uh, and then you come to some kind of consensus or some kind of, or as you say, threshold where you, where you some kind of insight or-, or Exactly, the that processing right? no. that's happening has complex speed loops. Yeah. So it's not just, for example, um, this, so this, uh, this neuron tickles that neuron and amplifies that neuron and amplifies, and then it crosses a threshold event. That would just be a linear feedback loop. Just mm. it's all for, feed forward. Mm. There's, there's, this there's a back and forth, a pushing. Exactly. Forth. There's right, a back and forth. And, um, uh, right. Mm -hmm. And then, so much more complex space of possibility until there's a threshold event. So this happens in organizations also. And, <clears throat> and um, 
this kind of answers some of the questions in this social media space about hierarchy and, and privilege and stuff. So mm -hmm. uh, an organization also. Sorry, what were you referring to? Questions of hierarchy in, in the social media space. I, I, I'm not sure. You if know, like the whole, you talked about the difference between com consensus and competitive competition, uh -huh, and uh -huh. hierarchy and egalitarianism. Oh, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So, so we have to look at societies and organizations they also are a dynamic that has complex feed loops yeah. so for example uh what i i call it the the um um the feed loops fork right uh -huh. so you can't just you can't just for example teach social justice concerns over and over and over at school because then the feed loop will fork you'll get the reverse uh -huh. outcome from your intention uh -huh. because you'll get a bunch of fascists when you're trying to create a bunch of very helpful kind people or something yes like because yeah. the uh -huh. human collective intelligence has complex feed loops. You can't yeah. just feed forward or feed backwards. Yeah. That's not how complex holistic systems work. Hmm. So in an organization, I'll give you a very uh, easy example of how we use it in organizations. Yeah. As trust in, the, let's say you're working with a team, mm -hmm. as trust goes up, right? Yeah. You know, you're getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. As trust goes up, what we call action thresholds, the thresholds for action go down. So you no longer have to get everybody to agree, no longer require consensus because you have high level of trust. Same we do with our kids. The more uh -huh. we trust them, we give them the keys. We buy them a yeah. car. Okay. Yeah. So as trust goes up, the actions, the thresholds for action go down. Yeah. As the threshold and the need for hierarchy, I guess, becomes less. No, aha, uh -huh. no. Or, or natural hierarchies kind of develop, or something. exactly okay. as the action thresholds go down, small dis di differences in skill yeah. become larger, and you'll get a natural hierarchy. And a when that happens, hierarchy. trust goes down. So you have this kind oh. of two cycle kind okay, of thing. Okay. And uh -huh. so, in the dominant discourse, all we have is polarized uh discourse you know those are against hierarchies and those that want this but what if we come at this from a new paradigm of complex holistic systems we yeah. see oh we're we're dealing with the a complex feed loop and mm -hmm. this is part this is part of all living systems there's and so the interesting thing is all societies have actually adjusted themselves mm -hmm. unconsciously for these for these speed loops. We can't help ourselves. We're self-organized uh, ecologies yeah. of living things. It seems like whatever we try to do, we, we make it worse. Um, or, you know, when you're talking about that, I was thinking, yes, there's this complexity of, of, of behavior. Um, and then there's our attempts to try to manipulate that behavior and how often uh, that has a, a negative uh, you know outcome again we're back to the same thing you were talking about at the beginning of yeah. the good intentions yeah. because we do technological innovations uh -huh. from a mindset that doesn't have holistic complexity 
Hmm. We do technological interventions from either developmental, linear developmental mindset yeah. or um, a So how would you create mindset. technology uh, in, in the manner that, that you're suggesting? How would I create technology? Well, not you personally, but I mean, <laughs> how, how would one, <laughs> like, like um, how would you create technology where, let's say, um, the technology is not dominating the human being? Yeah. Like, I get the feeling uh, on, on social media that it's, that it's kind of, it's such, it's such a destructive ecosystem, like 99% of Facebook. You yeah, know, and there's like one percent that that might be might be uh, might be positive, you know. Okay, um, so uh, you know we can go directly from here to there. What are the feedback feed loops in uh, social media? They're uh -huh. only in one direction. Uh -huh, They're not uh -huh. complex feed loops. They do not mimic. They do not. It is not a platform that supports the complex feed loops in actual discourse. Uh -huh, right. They only amplify in one direction mm -hmm. so this is a amplify the the sort of salience or, or yeah the, the yeah the clicking they yeah. click they have they have one or two hijacking the amygdala i think it was what exactly, exactly. Put it. yeah right mm -hmm. so so it's going to disrupt normal discourse because it impedes the feed loops to be as rich as they need to be for normal discourse to happen. Uh -huh. Okay. And then of course, the more people spend time in that kind of environment, then, then their brain gets in patterns. So the feed loops themselves are, are, are simple, simplified or reductive because you're, yeah. you know, whatever you, we have beef only. Did you read that article? Um, yes. We have this beef only have a kind of medieval uh sort of uh game of thrones society where, where we're just regressing to our most yeah base but, instincts, you know? but this is also we have to be careful because okay. this is that past is primitive assumption yeah. oh right okay you know, true. i'm glad you said that yeah, yeah. because i so, also noted that as well i thought i thought okay actually a knight he was talking about knights and he was talking yeah. about knights and territories and a knight is actually a beautiful concept, and and but this is just such a flatland view of yeah how how things are and how people are. It, uh, um, this uh, is know. this is how it's a modern video game world that he's yes. Describing. This is how modern, modern people that. are. These this uh -huh. is not how foraging societies are. Right, this great. How yeah. modern people are, and we keep yeah. you know the modern person's amygdala amygdala has been hijacked. The amygdala yeah. itself is very intelligent. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so just we, you know, like there's a lot of moving parts, and that we have to be careful of. Like, you, you know, so a lot of what I do when I do group process is exactly this. We just trying to keep people out of the assumptions of the dominant discourse because it will always. You know, Jargon Hall calls it malware. You know, mm -hmm. you can't malware, think yeah. from that paradigm and move out. It's uh -huh. too recursive. It's too strong. It's too. Um, okay. And then, just can I? I'm sorry if I interrupt uh, too no, much. No, no. Keep us I, I was thinking yeah. about. I was thinking about how there's that going on, and then there's this conversation going on. You know, uh, so so it seems like the two things are happens happening si simultaneously. There's there's all of this interesting stuff that's out there, 
um, which you can you can kind of you can learn from um, long form discussions, mm -hmm. uh -huh, which are which are, are deep and, and, and interesting. And then and then the, and then uh, the, uh, the, it's like an extreme. There's that happening, and then the other extreme is this sort of soundbite. You know, um, you know, very negative, almost almost you know, regressive mode of communication happening at the same time. Like I see those things kind of happening simultaneously. Does that, yeah. does that make any sense? Yeah, and, but I think that, you know, there's a question, we were actually, a group was actually asking this question and it's not clear how much the behavior on social media is driven by the algorithms. Hmm. I think it's a lot more than you think. I think that um, the behavior on social media, the discourse on social media is driven by. Uh, well, it's like crack cocaine. It's like yeah. It's like somebody gave everybody acid. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, I heard somebody was saying that, right? It 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 can't be underestimated, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. I, I, although I don't want to be like you know I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be dramatic or melodramatic about it, but. For, for example, I have yeah. almost, uh, was it 3,000 or 5,000? I forgot what the limit is. 5,000 friends, yeah. Yeah, I have like almost 5,000 friends on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm in this group that's grown to 1,000, and it's starting to be, as they grow to that limit, to be completely chaotic and dysfunctional. It breaks down at a certain right. point, yeah. But, so I say the algorithms in a group are different than the algorithms on my Facebook page. I don't have, I have five times more people there, but I don't have that dysfunction. It's quite quiet and mm -hmm. respectful. And so mm -hmm. the, way, the way the algorithms work are different in groups. Um, and I think that's why you get the kind of dynamic. So it's an algorithm that's almost trying to turn people against each other. Of course, because yeah. the more that people, the more that it can uh, prioritize like these sparks of activity, which yeah. are emotional, then the more it keeps your uh, attention and that's what it wants. It wants you to be attention and it wants your interaction with the with the hardware to be emotional because that creates a coupling an addiction coupling so every addiction. time you're emotional so first the hardware creates the emotional and then every time you're emotional you go and pick up the hardware yeah. right so it creates this one directional again not complex not rich feedback loop but a a exponentially amplifying feedback loop yeah yeah. Um, when I was talking to Zach, again, I have Zach, my conversation with Zach Stein very much in my, in my mind. And, uh, you know, he was, he doesn't use, uh, social media. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, he was telling me he, and uh, that he almost would say, think it's, it's unethical to, to use it just because uh, of how much, you know, sort of money that, that these companies are making from, from people's, you know, most intimate, you know, feelings and, and emotions and, and, and all that. Um, so I, wh wh why, why are we still using it? I mean, why are intelligent people still using it? Do you think we should be using it? Or you think something else is coming next? 
or that we will, that we can jump onto that will be better or um, I think there is an ethical question component to it. Mm -hmm. I think that um, <clears throat> um, I think that one of the things about social media as is true for a lot of um, technology we engage in it, the, ethic, the ethical component is very demanding. And so you have to constantly ask yourself, am I at choice here? Am I at choice here? Am I at ah. choice here? Hmm. Um, so there's a due diligence um, that is uh, part of it. And then at a certain point, and, and, you know, and I think this is <laughs> more true for me than Zach. And so I really respect Zach's is like at a certain point, are you at choice for all the energy you're putting into the system to be at choice? Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that there that social media is um, an experiment. I think that um, if you can keep that more like an experiment. Um, yeah, for example, I, I, I remember you saying that you, you would share positions from different political parties or from different uh, perspectives or rather than remain trying to remain in, in this kind of, um, you know, bubble feedback loop where you're just getting your own confirmation bias con confirmed over over again. Yeah, Conf confirmation porn. Somebody said that um, somewhere, which I thought was a, a good. Exactly. Insight. I mean, so so I think it's interesting to have it open up many many perspectives but again mm -hmm. you have to do due diligence am i am no, i no, no, no. am i is it just clickbait or is this some real person on the other side of opinion that is also doing due diligence and um uh, i you know i, I think it's I, I i think there's there's it comes a point where social media um is not helpful and i often wonder at what point it is for me, um, yeah, me too, yeah. and um, especially now, you know, many of us are deep enough in cyberspace so that there are ways, like we can find Zach, that's great. I mean, it would yeah. be horrible if you couldn't find people like Zach, you know? Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, once you establish enough networks, then, um, how do you, you know, how do then you, you can jump off and how do you pull something the else plug? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. It's how you pull, pull the plug, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's that, that kind of brings me up because, um, you know, you mentioned this word parallax that, um, I'm working with uh, a guy named, um, Tom Amark. Um, mm. I think you did a, you did a podcast with him and his magazine is called parallax magazine. And, and we're working with, with Alexander as well. And, um, we wanted to make uh, th this magazine into a, a kind of a lear learning platform, because um, it was kind of it's kind of our ambition at, at the moment. And uh, we've been talking about this for a while, and and now we're talking about it openly. So so I, I wanted to get maybe your your advice on how we could do that, like how something like that could be done. Um, you know, I, I, I we're making a video and we're going to put yeah. it out on YouTube and and podcasts and. and and that kind of thing, and that's how it gets to people. But again, we haven't pulled the plug. We haven't. We haven't found. Uh, there hasn't. We haven't found a space for, let's say, intelligent people that that want to be thinking 
in a parallax um, world. Yeah, I think it's, you know, these are not, these are questions and experiments that are not yet answered. I yeah, think we're sure. experimenting our way to them, you know, and the, what's interesting is the shelf life of these innovations or these initiatives is starting mm. to get really short. So for example, the intellectual dark web, it came, yeah. it went, you yeah. know, it came, it wowed, it went. Right? Yeah. Um, and even like some, I mean, I was very happy to be on this podcast with you because it's so much more like a conversation and not like trying to capture a certain segment or sector. Oh, I'm glad um, you said that. Yeah. And, you know, so uh, there's this, and I love Zach said it. He's like, you know, at some point, a podcast, you know, like yeah. we have a podcast with Zach. At some point, it's not entertainment. It becomes despair, right? Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. well, um, then, yeah, it would be a conversation. It wouldn't be marketing. Like, marketing's over. Like, there's no need to be mar all markety about it. Does, does that make sense? So we don't have yeah, to, be, we exactly. don't have to put on some kind of a, um, a persona and, uh, you know, have a deep voice and all this music and stuff is, you know, almost like the, the raw thing. Um, yeah. More. Um, but then the question is becomes, you know, um, and I'm not saying, you know, these are, these are things I'm, I think you're probably trying to answer. Yeah. And that is like, then what is the public or performance nature of it? Mm. And, um, exactly. you, you know, uh, some of the work that Hannah rented um, comes to mind because she talks about, you know, there's a private sphere and there's a public sphere. Mm. And the polis, the Greek polis, is when you came into the public sphere um, and, and what did you share, right? And yeah. the question here is, with the rise of the internet, is it's like it's almost like everything is public everything is the polis so what are the new rules what are the new rules for engagement and um and you, and you become virtual versions of yourself so something you see on a video can get clipped and put over here and now you exist if you have any kind of social capital that's influence you're an influencer mm -hmm. now you exist influencing the opposite of maybe what you wanted to say yeah. and these are big questions yeah yeah um yeah well i i think i think in a, in a way uh, in a way we, we we do have to go back into smaller communities don't we uh, um smaller hubs and, and smaller smaller worlds because when something is too big, it's it, it's it's corrupt. It, it, does, yeah. it, does that make any sense, or is that? Yeah. So I talk about it as tr we all our worlds are becoming uses, like they're just identities, like us versus them. Uh -huh, it's uh -huh. like a thin category. Yeah. And what we don't have anymore are we's, and we's are units of agency. So. If you're on a, a team, like a baseball team, you say, mm -hmm. we did it. It's yeah, so yeah, clear, sure. but 
when what we're doing, and so maybe it's the Dunbar number, but for me, it's not the number, but it's the point at which you feel that the collective is the unit of agency. Uh -huh. um, and, and intimacy, like there's a, there's, there's a, a real relationship between each person. Exactly. And not like a hyper relationship between them, not like the person is, you know, this on a stage and, and you're in the audience or, or the person is, you know, uh, just a persona or where there's an, a real, I guess that's what a church is, is or a temple or they, they're, they're always, there's always, you always know everybody at the church or at the temple. Or yeah, but sometimes not. Sometimes a religion versus a church or a parish, I would say, becomes yeah. an us because uh -huh, uh -huh. you're not actually a unit of agency. You're not, you're not participating in the enactment of some kind of world. Oh, you're a cult rather than a, um, than a, or you just, oh, yeah. I'm a Christian. Well, uh -huh, I'm, sure. I'm not enacting the things the Catholic church does. Let's say I'm not enacting the things that my religion does. I'm, I don't even agree with maybe it. So, you know, what mm -hmm. is, what is uh yeah what is well, how to keep it living i think what i'm hearing from you is how to keep the whole the, the community a living like a living community yeah mm -hmm. you know so if i associate with something like um i don't know any kind of any kind of uh ideology or any kind of category like um like i'm a female okay yeah well my we is not female I don't experience all women together doing something together like a we on a team. It's not a unit of agency. It's just a categorical identity. Mm -hmm. And what you see is more and more people are identified with categorical identities and they don't actually enact things as groups. They don't actually, you know, have we's that have goals mm -hmm. and aims that they come back to and focus on as a group. One of the one, one of the early things I found out when I started doing group process, dialogic process, is that after, it's not about just learning how to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. So, and in these in these group processes, you always have the tension between the individual and the collective, the autonomy and the relationality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is like two legs of a three-legged stool. In history, all collectives are also solidified by action. They're, that's why the family is powerful. You're not just an individual and a collective. You have things to do, a home to build, food to create. Hmm. There's a unit of locus of production inside the collective. That's different than being like, uh, you know, a French citizen or something. Or, or... Exactly. Uh -huh. So hmm. when you have these we space groups that don't have the third, don't have the third leg of the, of the three-legged stool, they don't have actual work, actual goals hmm. or a project. They yeah. actually don't let the world in and they're saying, oh, humans can be, you know, transformative just by individual and collective uh, intersubjective and, and individual sovereign actions. It's not mm -hmm. true. We've cut ourselves off from the other aspect of what being a human collective is, and that's engagement with the world. You have to let the world in. The world solidifies. So, for example, it works both ways because like 
you know, you could have a dysfunctional community and then a hur hurricane hits and everybody's together because yeah. the action yeah. solidifies, grounds the discourse. So mm. all these practices are sure to fail yeah. if they stay at the level of discourse. And this is also why some of these, you have to remind this in your podcast. So how do you, how do you build so you and Tom and Alexander will be really doing something in the world, but how do you express that call to action to mm -hmm. your audience to make yeah. a we? And this is, this is, again, this is one of the blind spots in a lot of these practices. And, and something on Facebook, there is no world there. So like in Game B, Facebook. There's no, not. there's no world there. Is that what you said? Yeah, there's no. Yeah, there's work. no world. So oh, there's no work. There's no work yeah, there. It's which, just, uh, you know, it's just. Right. So we constantly say, this Facebook group is not Game B. Find people, make the choice, do an experiment in the world. In the That's world. Game B. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. This so it can't be just a media platform. It has to be sort of events as well. It has to be people getting together to do pro actual projects. Um, if you want coherent collectives, the yeah. world has to be the third leg of the three-legged stool. Mm -hmm. The actual work in the world, actual your body, the, the mm -hmm. work that you do, the we, yeah. or else you're not going to get coherence. Right. And mm. so all those forms that don't realize that are destined to just be incoherent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm. You mentioned if there's a hurricane or something like that, we would all get together and we suddenly become human, right? <laughs> suddenly become have okay. real relationships with each other instead of just walking around like zombies, uh, yeah. you know. Um, uh, so the, but then the question is like, how, how do you do that in just ordinary life when there isn't a, you know, when when the world isn't falling apart all around you or? or um, well, uh, the way we used to do it. Is we, used to do it, yeah. we would create art or sing, cook together or dance. There would always be things to do. Um, and so when you take this into the into the workplace, so so one of the reasons why a lot of people doing collective um, discourse practice have started to work with organizations is because they do have a goal or an aim. Mm -hmm. But in many organizations, there isn't. What you're, what you're actually asked to do is decoupled from the goal or the, or the aim of the whole itself. So you have what Graeber calls bullshit jobs, right? Bullshit jobs, yeah. Yeah, so you start to have, um, you start to see people going into the workplace and having, um, you know, more loyalty to a small silo because, oh, they're going to have a picnic or they're going to do something. They're actually doing something together. But in the mm -hmm. context of their career, they're not, they don't feel like they're doing something with the yeah. organization because it's a bullshit job. So yeah. this is another way of saying you need the, the sovereignty, the autonomy, autonomy of the individual, you need the relationality of the collective. Mm -hmm. And you need agency, you need yeah. action in the world, and then the system coheres. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only reason we do bullshit jobs is to make money, right? To, to survive. Um, I don't know. I don't think I ever had one. You never had one? Well, yeah, you must be very fortunate. Oh, yeah. Or very also work very hard to, to be in that position. I didn't mean to 
no, no, no. I did. Was... I did in 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 high school. I worked in a factory to save money to go to college, and uh -huh. that was the kind of a bullshit job. But then after that, um, well, um, I guess I I washed dishes, uh, you know, and things like that. I worked in restaurants and on fishing boats, and those aren't really bullshit jobs. Like no. working class jobs are not bullshit jobs because it's it's the kind of job where you're you're putting numbers into excel files uh, you know that that seem to me to be sort of so de dehumanizing yeah i mean i worked in a in a uh um like uh what is it called not a deli but we're like a catering industry uh -huh. arm of a big big uh store in california and i learned so much about cooking and spices and food farm to table you know hmm. so the the benefits of that job it wasn't it wasn't highly paid but it wasn't didn't feel like a bullshit job you know and then hmm. after that i just i worked i ran my own companies in landscape design architecture contracting so um yeah so um so I think this, that the things you you do are, have always been very practical. Again, that's what I was struck struck by 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 your your writing and 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 the fact that you do very practical things and then but you're also working with these high abstract uh, concepts and trying to trying to bring bring the two together. And well, I just a lot of the sort of stuff that people do around getting together and and like um, talking and doing dialogue and 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 all that sort of stuff often feels quite flaky and narcissistic to me because 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 yeah for that exact precise reason that, that you're saying it's like okay we had this good feeling together we had this good communal feeling together um it's like so what that's you know i always want to say it's um anyway yeah and i think the good feeling is is an important experience but then or, when or, it becomes the whole or catharsis or yeah. shadow work and and all, yeah. and all, all of this, it's just, it's just endless. Somehow. It is endless. So I, it. so you have I to was, ground it in something in doing something, something real or, 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 um, it seems just, uh, a kind of, so, uh, uh, upper class pastime or <laughs> I don't know, yeah. maybe, I, maybe I'm being too insulting here. With no, me. no, no. I, I just was talking about this with the future thinkers people. And uh -huh. the thing is, is, you know, uh, Western, popular Western psychology, you know, over psychologizes everything. This is yeah. kind of a thing. And there's a little bit of an entertainment factor in, in it. Like when people don't know what else to do, they can start uh, deconstructing their psyche. Now, part of that is helpful, but what happens is when you're in these extended groups, the psyche, one of the, the nature of the psyche is to create structures. So you and mm. so you have, for example, people that will work with internal family systems and they have like, you know, the, the inner child and the father and the mother and the policeman. And then I then I I know people who then think the inner inner systems themselves have inner systems. And so the psyche can can you have to be careful because as you're working with psychological structures, you'll end up creating more psychological structures that you have to work with. So it is infinite. It's a, it's mm. a self-proliferating process. This ah. And if you don't know about this, 
you think you're actually finding more and more complexity you're getting to something but you're building it up as you deconstruct yeah. it so and we can relate that to io iotrogenesis this this uh in medically created diseases in a way yeah. it yeah. seems to me that, that that's what happens to is is that the more you know complex solutions we we come up to, to things and and we're actually creating harm um yeah or at least if it's not harm it's complexifying things you know um carl what uh, i think it's carl wake he has this great little um, metaphor he says you know the human body is very complex and we could think of it the psyche also and if i'm sick like then i go to a doctor now the system's even more complex because not only do i have the complexity of the human body mm -hmm. but i have the complexity of the medical doctor's paradigm and the, and the medical doctor's complexity and his interpretation of me and there might be some political or social class kind of thing yeah so that move is hyper complexifies the illness just just that one move and the medical yeah. doctors inside the institution and the, the insurance company and this and that so how as a society do we improve how can we intervene at the lowest level of complexity as uh -huh. possible oh great yeah so mm. this is even Illich says this ivan Illich, you were talking about and he says you know we have the but because of our society we've given people the impression that self-care is inadequate self-learning is deficient yeah self-work yeah. is less valuable so it makes us he calls that the shadow economy like all yeah. the people think all the things people do uh which are devalued but which are actually often the most valuable thing exactly you know, like being a mother for example or exactly in every yeah. move toward the next level of complexity hyper complexifies it right mm -hmm. so if i can if i know something about my own body and can work with my own body that's less complex than going to a doctor now if i have to make that move okay but yeah the it's 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 i i tell my students you know solve your problems at the lowest level of complexity that you can they're oh, the that's, same that's they're crazy. the same problems yeah. so deal with them there mm -hmm. don't go to a doctor to figure out how to solve your problem with your mother go talk to your mother <laughs> <laughs> right great yeah yeah hmm. easier said than done yeah that's hard it's it's kind of hard to talk to your mother it's much more easier <laughs> much easier to go talk to a therapist for 10 years and uh, oh my mother my relationship with my mother <laughs> yeah I was thinking about, yeah, well, you had some interest in your discussion with David Fuller, A Rebel Wisdom. I thought you had some interesting um, uh, insights about, about men and women and, 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 uh, and you know, and, and, and that whole thing. Yeah. Um, and and uh, th that I thought was very, very useful, so. Yeah, so I'd like to um, kind of expand that a little because uh, don't mm -hmm. want it to generate it degenerate into a, a man and woman even oh, though yeah. mm -hmm. I kind of set it up that way um, so this is kind of what I call a heuristic or a little taxonomy of the types of behaviors people 
tend to show up with in, in group process. And um, I think of the rebel wisdom, I talked about the ranker and the belonger. Yeah. These are two out of, out of the eight. But there's some, there's something, a deeper psychological schema underneath how you show up. So for example, and there, there's, 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 um, there's three structures in this typology. So there's what's called the primary psychological schema. This is from Gurdjieff, Gurdjieff's work. Oh, Gurdjieff. And that oh, is, okay. uh, yeah, do you take I, power? Gurdjieff's grave is approval? just like, a, sorry to interrupt. I, I, oh. you, you mentioned Gurdjieff's grave and, and Gurdjieff is like, I live in Avon, France, where he had his, his big uh, um, monastery and his graves about a block away from my house. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's, uh, that's just an aside. Sorry, excuse me for interrupting you. Yeah, so, um, so the primary psychological structure or the strategy of the child is mm. either to take power or seek approval. Sometimes mm. that's uh, highly gendered, um, um, sometimes not. But this is, this is like the primary, uh, uh, so the ranker see, uh, takes power, has, has learned as a child to take power, hmm. the belonger to seek approval. So that's one aspect of it. The mm -hmm. second aspect is what I call social processing typology. So when we're in, come into group space, we have social anxiety. Yeah. It's, it's part of being a, a mammal, really. You get, yeah. you get, your yeah. energy comes up. And so uh when um so there's another typology some people turn that energy into talking about their emotions and using story so that's narrative. a na narrative yeah. approach and some use mental models and abstractions right right yeah. so so then there's either narrative or abstract or concepts let's say and then the third piece is how we've been uh, trained to think about uh, collectives. And this is, comes from our social or political kind of background. And so one, one typology is the focus on individuals' rights and responsibilities, mm -hmm. and the others on collective rights and responsibilities. Okay. So you have Jordan Peterson on mm -hmm. one side, and then you have the social justice warriors on the other, right. something like that. Right, so mm -hmm. a ranker, is yeah. my archetype for a person whose psychological schema is power, processing temperaments, concepts, and individual rights. And you'll see in uh -huh. a, a belonger is approval, narrative, and collective. And hmm. if you take these three things, it, it, it creates a matrix of eight social types. And I've done this in workshops where eight. people just, yeah, yeah, you have precisely eight different types. Okay. Yeah, because the combination of these three and different combinations gives you eight types. Uh-huh. Wow. So the ranker is power, concepts, and individual, but you could have power, concepts, and collective. That's a different one, mm -hmm. a different archetype. And what I've done in some of my early work, I mean, it's kind of a fun typology. It's not that intellectually rigorous, but people will take the test. They'll answer the three questions. When you are a child, mm -hmm. relative to other kids, did you take power or seek approval? And they will recognize their archetype based upon 
these structures that are operating on them. And, and so my point in the rebel wisdom was that uh, people, you know, people have biases. They think that that one of these archetypes is better in collective yeah. space than the yeah. others. And I say, no, they're just different archetypes of a social self. And what the first stage is in collective process is to move beyond the social self into mm -hmm. more authentic selves. So mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's just a it's typology and... Um, yeah, and yeah. I, well, often the, the belonging stuff, you know, has its form of manipulation, right? Uh, just as well, the exactly. just as the ranking stuff ha has its form of you know manipulation. So, the ranking stuff is the more obvious kind of male, I would say. Uh, yeah, quality. but the point is one person trying to be tougher than the other, and and then and then the belonging is is more uh, probably more female, or is that too reductive? Uh, it's reductive. The point is, is, reductive, is they're both yeah. they're both social selves. They're social strategies to reduce anxiety, and they're both di distortions of the authentic self. So neither of none of them. You don't want you don't want them in yeah. you know as you move along. Whether you're a man or a, a woman, you wouldn't want them. It's, exactly. It's a, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I was just saying some of the confusion in in social states, uh, social collective practice was a lot of the initial circles were um, convened by people who thought the belonging needs person was in oh, the yeah. right direction. I've noticed that, yeah. Because there was a bias against the ranking and neither of them are in the right direction. They, they are actually the same structure that mm -hmm. needs to be resolved. Yeah, and often it's, it's also the, I would see it as, as people who are, are really into emotionality and feeling and, and expression and 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 uh, you know yeah, dra drama queen type of people yeah yeah but but who run, the, who run the show and then the little geeky little people over here is like we're lost in abstraction or are completely lost and, and we can see how the other archetypes are distorted but we think ours are, have values yeah you know? exactly yeah um and they're they're all um they're all distortions so um, yeah, you know, and then there's gifts. The ranker um, becomes very perceptive and tends to be a theory builder. These, these higher build theories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm. you you start to see them as as you get more capacity in these groups. If you stick together, that's that's kind of a mature contribution the ranker has to the belonger mm -hmm. um, is the person that is experiencing wow i i feel like no no i feel like we should stay on this and 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 their way of processing um becomes an asset um but they're not clutchy like when they first start and have all these belonging needs they're they're released of those uh those contractions hmm. Hmm. so there's a neurotic form of that and and uh, an enlightened form of that so to speak exactly uh -huh. right there's a gift inside the distorted typology. Uh huh. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's I. That's what another thing I've been thinking about is is, um, I, I've mentioned Zach about twenty times in this interview. So <laughs> if he's out there, I was, apologize. Was, but but I can't stop. I can't stop thinking about the stuff he's yeah. been saying. And 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 we talked. He talked about his high level dyslexia, and he talked about how that was like. Um, 
it's a it's a it's a personality who you, you can you read the paragraph before you read read the sentence mm -hmm. before you read the word so you, you go from top down instead of bottom up and, yeah and that kind of and, and I, I think I, I'm exact I'm ex, I'm not exactly the same as exact because I I'm I'm not a high, I'm not so gifted and a dyslexic but I know that I function in, in, in that way yeah and that's made it very difficult for me in some areas uh, especially school whereas I, I kind of excel in other areas and and so in terms of our, our, our discussion about about education and and how, how to fit in these people that maybe don't fit in the the ordinary typologies or are a bit sort of yeah sort of lost in, in the in in the functioning kind kind of world and I've known a lot, a lot of people like that in my life I tend to enjoy people who are a bit odd or strange or, or you know have, have yeah wacky minds or just different kinds of minds yeah so in my educational philosophy I talk about the switch from complex adaptive systems you know so like uh, uh, the Darwinian model of education is dyslexics have to adapt to the reading program uh -huh, right versus uh -huh. complex potential systems all of a sudden wow what's 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 potential from here this this is a different mind perhaps a whole new mind what is the potential of this that i'm facing hmm. to educate is to bring forth the uh, the potentials that to notice identify detect and amplify the potentials that are in front of me not to force that emergent potential into a pre-designed or pre-ordained adaptation plan yeah um that's called you know curriculum or the and 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 or standardized testing and or, all that sort of stuff. yeah or even uh, even thinking that you know a third grader is going to move from here to here because what we're noticing in uh like early childhood uh, research, psychological research, Alison Gopnik is great for this, is that there are metacognitive uh, in abilities that come online early in childhood. And so if we assume these things are only going to come online when someone's 18, 19, or 20, then we miss these emergent pathways that may be staring us right in the face. Maybe all this deviant behavior in schools is our inability to ask ourselves, what's the potential that's arising here? Hmm. Um, I mean, that can get over. So if you get, I mean, if you get a hyperactive kid who has this kind of wild energy and he can't sit still, uh, he, he should be, he should be, I don't know, working with horses or, or something. Or exactly. Be, you know. It's, it's, I say this all the time in organizations, it's energy for free. Uh -huh. Here's the, here's the teacher and you're looking at, energy for free how can uh, i shape the form that that's going to take i mean yeah. literally it's crazy you're yeah. looking at energy you're looking at purpose driven you know you're looking at impulse and instinct and and desire these are mm. the fundamental protocols for civilization yeah. right there in your face and yeah we're going to drug them yeah yeah, and they're all there, aren't they? All, all of these, as you say, protocols for civilization, uh, the, the whole, all the typology, all the different types are, are, are just sitting there, you know, mm -hmm. waiting to be used. And we're, we're corralling them into this very narrow uh, perspective. As Whitehead said, you know, we have to move from 
this notion of constraint and control to see the world is screaming with affordances. I mean, literally screaming with affordances. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is the, I think, mindset that gets us beyond the sense-making and meaning-making crisis and yeah. into being able to literally see the yeah. potentials are staring us in the face, but they're yeah. categorized as problems or deviance. Yeah. And it's and this well, is it's funny because when I'm talking to you compared to my conversation with Zach, Zach, Zach very very deep into you know this apocalyptic sort of feel to, to what's going on right now. And 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 you you have a very you know, you have a way of making one feel very hopeful about the world in a sense, right? If if we can if we could sort of see all of this you know chaos as as potential as abundance rather than scarcity and and work with that of, of course we're in trouble in a lot of ways as well we can't deny that but well you know actually one of the things that zach and i both are warning of and i i haven't said it so dire but if you don't take the problems with society seriously then you're just being snookered, mm. right? You'll say, oh, here's a new potential, but it'll be yeah. the same structure, just a, in more disguise, you know, mm. to be the same problem undercover. Right. So we have to come to terms with the fact. And so the way I describe that is by saying, no, you have to exit this paradigm. You have to get outside of, I mean, if you try to think of complex systems outside of adaptation, Mm -hmm. We have to adapt. Try to tell all your stories without using that subtle mental model that you have to adapt to something. Mm -hmm. It's almost impossible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, know? you, can, you can't adapt to it. You know? mm -hmm. Because you're saying, I don't want to use that paradigm, that Darwinian paradigm. So then what do I use to talk about complex systems? And um, yeah, and uh, I think and also that, it may have been that that paradigm had its value in its time, but it's, but it it just keeps going um, and uh, becoming more of a a monolithic kind of dead structure, right? It is, and that's yeah. we're at one of these times when all civilizations become, you know, their paradigms become deficient, and and uh -huh. you end up in times of transition, and yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't find Zach's, I'm sorry we're talking about you, Zach. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't find that interview uh, disheartening. Oh, no. I found, uh, I found it very clarifying, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. No, I, I would say that, uh, there. well, I, I, I would say that, uh, he says that we have to look through the thing, right? Um, which which isn't which is is not saying that we're we're stuck or, or we're blocked or we can we can look through the thing. But he's saying that he but he but he but he he is he is also saying the world is burning. So you know if you're if you're or you're in the middle of the fire. So um, I think if 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 you're the kind of person that wants to has has a hunger for for truth and that 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 kind of message just wakes you up and makes you feel more alive if you're mm -hmm. a person who wants to retreat back into 
safety and comfort and and, uh, and habit, then 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 maybe that that would seem depressing or, or something like that, you know, to, to some people. Exactly. I mean, I think that what I will kind of say in terms of my own despair is, um, I you know, I don't I don't see people changing. <laughs> I don't see mm. masses of people changing. I see um, hope, potential, and in small initiatives. Yeah. Um, and so when, when, when Zach talks about his hub and spoke a network of education, I think these are smart uh, designs for the possible transition. Um, I don't see, um, I think the whole, even the whole strategy to change massive Well, that's what I was about to say. I would say, why would you want to change everybody? I mean, that, that seems there's something wrong in, um, it's, I, I was listening to one of your talks where you talked about how I, I think so. it has to be a very, a, lo, a, a local, everything mm -hmm. has to be very local. And that's, mm -hmm. where you, that's where you have to work with. Otherwise you're, you're, you're um, pretending you, <laughs> If, if you felt that, that you were participating adequately or, or, or learning, then that would be okay, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think at, at least you have to have uh, theory practice consistency. So if you, so, and this I think where Zach really shines because he's like, social media, we all know it's really problematic. <laughs> we have. So he gets out. Mm -hmm. We go on social media saying how it's problematic. So we, there's a very practice inconsistency there. Mm. Um, now that tension can go either way. Maybe we say, well, it's not as problematic as I thought, or yes, it is. But at a certain point, the you, you know you have to have to strive for more coherence between the theory, what you're espousing, and the choices that you make. Everything has to start with a choice. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the linchpin. I think I think it'd be easy to get people to conceptualize change, uh -huh. even if it's in very high metacognitive terms. That seems easier to me than for them to take a first real step. And and the first real step you would describe as coherence. What well, what do you mean by that? No, I, I think the first real step is, for example. Um, well, that's like, maybe the goal coherence, excuse me, maybe, maybe go yes, the goal. is more of a goal and the first step would be directing yourself towards that or, or, or taking concrete actions and, and going in that direction. Yeah, it's kind of like, I, uh, what is it, I, I, genetic, what's that Yeah, I have again? a really hard time with that word, I get, maybe it's just the way it looks. Iotrogenesis. Uh, yeah. So if you truly believe that, if you truly don't think the medical institution is helpful, that the medicine is making you sick, then don't, don't, partic the don't participate in the medical system. You know, I, I have a long background in Qigong, in self-care and well-being. I don't have health insurance. I wouldn't. I have uh, two nurses. My mother and my sister are nurses. And, you know, you can see this, the, the doctors, I, I know more about some of the history, like, just like Zach Stein knows more about some of the psychological, psychopharmacological um, things of, than, than the actual 
people who prescribe the pills, you know, it's like, you, there's this illusion of professionalism in, mm -hmm. in medicine. Yeah. And so if you get parishes, uh, people doing Qigong and learning about the human body and learning about holistic health and healing, that is more powerful medicine than the medical institution. And yet all the discourse is Medicare for all or this or that. I mean, I, I don't see why people want to expand the U.S. medical system. It, it doesn't make any sense. Wow. Hmm. It's just, so that's what I, I mean by choice. Many people would hear you say that and, 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 and think that you are a very wicked person because you, you're, you're wanting people to be dying on the street. Or I mean, that's the kind of the, 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 uh, the level of discourse today is that you can't really talk about anything like that. And, <laughs> in uh, polite society because 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 it's it's, it's so dichotomous it's so uh, you know all these things are very complex and deep and yeah unless your friends are doctors and you hear the back channel then you know then you know mm. and then you know and so but my point is that i mean that's a big that's a big step but at some point you know it's it, it needs there needs to have you need to tie your values, your spouse values to choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that moves you along into action and it changes the world. But espousing values does not change the world. Mm 